Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett with the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray that today's message will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. We are engaging our people at First Baptist Church in an emphasis called Who's Your Mission? It is a challenge to personal soul winning and personal evangelism for the year 2023. We've asked our people to ask God for at least one soul to be burdened for that they might go after that soul and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of these current messages. And I pray that they will encourage you to be a soul winner and go after one soul that needs to be saved now and to know Jesus now. I pray these messages will help you. And again, thank you for tuning in. Today, if the music didn't warm your heart, your wood's wet. That was a great blessing. Of course, it's not wet today, I guarantee you, but uh, that was wonderful. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Samuel 8 as we make our way through this interesting book in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel 8. Chapter 8. Now next week, we'll be in chapter 9, Lord willing. And that's just one of my favorite chapters of all the Bible. I guess, I guess you could say of the Old Testament, it's within my top five favorite chapters in all the Bible. It's about a young man by the name of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Have you ever heard that name before? Good, because I just said it to you. It means you're listening. But Mephibosheth, and we're going to talk about him next week, and we see one of the most beautiful pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ in chapter 9. But today, we're in chapter 8, and we also see a marvelous picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, typified by David, King David. This is one of those chapters where you have to trust what God's Word says about itself. It says about itself in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable to us for doctrine, for what God wants us to know for instruction, correction, and reproof in righteousness, that you and I may be complete and thoroughly furnished unto all the good works that God would have us to do. And so when you read a text like this, you might ask yourself, how in the world does this apply to me? What do these battles, these experiences, these unique histories have to do with me in South Mississippi or wherever you are watching us on our live stream? 
What does it have to do with me and how I can live for the Lord? Well, I'm glad you asked because I've asked the same thing many times over. Lord, how in the world am I going to preach on this? But you pray and you say, Lord, your word says that all Scripture is profitable. All Scripture is given to me for my good and for your glory to help me honor and live for you. And so, Lord, help me find some truth. And so, let's, uh, let's do that. Let's find some truth. This morning, we're going to preach on the subject from this text, Seeking First the Kingdom of God. Didn't Jesus say, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you, Matthew 6, verse 33. What we see here, typified in the life and experience and reign of David, is some lessons about seeking first the kingdom of God. Putting God's kingdom first. See, when you have a kingdom, you got to have a king. And Jesus is king. And when you submit his, to his kingdom, put it first, you're putting him first. And you're going to be a servant to the king. You're going to be obedient to the king. You're going to love the king. You're going to honor the king. And that's what it means to seek first his kingdom. And so we're going to go through this chapter. I pray you will find it interesting, but I really hope you will find it edifying in the Lord. So let's begin with verse 1 of chapter 8. And after this, it came to pass... There's the first point of the whole chapter, the borders of the kingdom, the borders of the kingdom. In chapter 7, you remember David is at rest from his enemies. God has given him a reprieve from the battles that he's fighting. And he says, I want to build the Lord a house. I want to build the Lord, the Lord a temple where we can worship him. He's dwelling in a tent. I have a house of cedar and we go to a tent to worship him. I want to build him a house. And you remember the story. God, uh, Nathan the preacher, jumped the gun and said, Go do it, David. Let's get it done. And then that night, God wakes the preacher up. And the preacher has to go wake David up. And Nathan the preacher says, God says, No, you can't build the house. But God's got something better. He's going to build you a house. And you're going to have uh, a descendant on the throne forever. And, of course, that's fulfilled in Jesus and then last week, we saw that wonderful latter part of chapter 7 where David worships the Lord, and he just worshiped, and we learned a lot about worship last week. And now we come to our chapter, and it came to pass after that worship experience that David looks around, and he sees that all the battles have not been fought, that there's still some land that God had given Israel that David needed to take, to claim. If you remember back in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 8, God came to Abraham, and he made a covenant with Abraham. And the covenant involved many aspects. It involved the people of Israel who would come from his loins. It involved the Messiah of Israel who would be a blessing to all people everywhere, even us Gentiles in South Mississippi. And also, it gave a promise of the land to Israel. 
And in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 8, God promised Abraham's descendants all the land from the Nile River all the way up to the Euphrates River. God said, this is the land I will give you. And so, Abraham was made that promise by God. Abraham's promise, the covenant of Abraham, came about through Abraham's son Isaac, and then to Isaac's son Jacob, and to Jacob's sons, including his son Judah. And Judah would one day have a descendant by the name of David. And David looks around and sees that land that has not been claimed as of yet. David sees that land that is, has squatters on it. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute. David was just a warmonger. He went and ran people off and all of that. Study your Bible, and you will see that God told Abraham, that land belongs to you. I'm giving it to you. And by the way, it's God's land. He can give it to whom he wants to give it to. And God told Abraham, you're going to get all that land. Your descendants will get that land in time when the iniquity of these people has reached its climax. I'm going to judge them for their sin, and you're going to get that land. I'm giving you that land. And so David looks around and he says, look here. This is God's land grant to us. We've got to claim it. David did not fight or wage war offensively against any nation and claim any land that wasn't included in the covenant. So what we're about to see is we're about to see some battles. And we're going to see David claiming some land and claiming some rule that God had given Israel. And the lesson for us pertaining to the borders of the kingdom is this. David's standard was not to be content where he was. His standard was the Word of God and its promises. He knew the Word of God, that God had promised Israel, of which he was king, all of that land, and David said, I'm going to go get it. That is a picture of an aspect of the Christian life that we really sometimes miss. We sometimes don't think about it. But the Christian life in terms of claiming the promises of God is captured in some of the old hymns we used to sing. I'm pressing on the upright way, new heights I'm gaining every day, higher ground. And then there's another one. Now imagine there's going to be somebody in this room who's going to be offended when I say this in this woke culture we live in. But there's another old-time song I used to like to sing. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. And then our little kids sing, I'm in the Lord's army. Remember that? Yes, sir. The Christian life is about... Seizing 
what God and all God has for you in Christ. David was at rest. I want to build God a house. God says, no, I'm going to build you a house. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm going to worship you, Lord. But David looked around and said, I'm not content until I grow in Christ and claim everything that God has for me in Christ Jesus. David's standard was the Word of God, not restfulness. So if you're at a season of rest in your life, you're not going through any major problems right now. Now, many people are, but you may not be. Life is hunky-dory for you right now, and you're just sitting back. Life's a recliner. Well, watch out, because the name of a recliner is called Lazy Boy. Coming up in chapter 11, we're going to see David and his lazy boy. And he's going to look somewhere he shouldn't be looking. Amen. Read ahead. You'll see what I'm talking about. But I want to tell you something. Do not be content where you are in claiming everything God has for you. Because I want to tell you, there's more God wants you to do. There's more blessings he's already given you. These borders already belong to David because of the Abrahamic covenant. Ephesians says we have been blessed by our Heavenly Father with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. The Christian life is always going after that higher ground. And so David said, I'm not content with this. I want more of what God has given me. I want more. God has all of me, and I want all, all of what he has for me. And he goes on to claim his promises. Now, that's the borders of the kingdom. You know what? One thing I learn on Sunday afternoons as I sit back in my lazy boy recliner, kick those shoes off, relax a little bit, I realize there's a whole lot more to preach. There's a whole lot more Bible to know. There's a whole lot more work to be done. There's a whole lot more of the blessings of God to enjoy. There's a whole lot of growth ahead of me. And that's what David says. David says, God's given me all this. It's all mine. It all belongs to the nation of Israel. I've just got to go get it. So don't sit back. you got to keep growing. you got to keep going. you you got to keep growing in the Lord. Let me tell you something, folks. If you're not enjoying and experiencing and engaging in more of what you have in Christ Jesus today than you did five years ago, you've backslid for four years. Amen. If you're not going to higher ground, you know where you're going? To lower ground. If you're not an onward Christian soldier, you are a retreating Christian soldier. And you're not going to win any victories, any more victories. Always one more battle to fight in there. Always. And so the borders of the kingdom. The second thing we see in this chapter are the battles of the kingdom. Seeking first the kingdom of God is not easy. It is a battle, a constant battle. One of my old heroes, Brother Mickey Lester Roloff, 
wrote a song. He always wrote some songs and gave us all encouragement when it came to writing songs because his songs were just the best. But he had a song uh, in, a, in a message he preached out of Job, and it, was, it went something like this. Uh, talking about uh, Goliath and the champion marched for 40 days saying, give me a man to fight. Israel had a very brave heart, but their feet were sort of full of fright. Then a boy with a sling and a pocket full of rocks. I forgot the song. (laughs) And a pocket full of rocks. Heard God say, go forth. And then he, of course, goes like this. It's a battlefield brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. Run if you want to. Run if you will. But I came here to stay. And he highlighted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and some others. And he, of course, was always this. It's a battlefield brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. Run if you want to. Run if you will. But I came here to stay. See, folks, listen. The Christian life in seeking first the kingdom of God is a battle. It's not a tiptoe through the tulips. It is a battle royal, always a battle. And so don't get the idea that being a Christian is an easy thing to do. If it's easy for you, you're probably not a Christian. I'll say that again. If it's easy for you, you're probably not a Christian. Because I want to tell you what, when you get saved, you get into the Lord's army, and it's always a fight. And so let's look at some of these battles that David fought. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. The first one he went against was the Philistines, the Philistia. And after this, it came to pass that David smote the Philistines and subdued them, and David took Metheg Ammah out of the hand of the Philistines. The Philistines were the number one enemy of Israel in the Old Testament. The Philistines. As a matter of fact, it's called, many people will call it Palestine, which is a derivative of Philistine. And so the enemies of Israel today, call, they don't call it Israel, they call it Palestine. So whenever you're watching the news and they talk about something going on in Palestine and they don't use the term Israel, you know where they stand. But the Philistines were the number one enemy. And here, right off the bat, David goes and smites the Philistines and subdues them, and he takes an area called Metheg Ammah out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, I don't imagine you were planning your uh, next vacation saying, I think we ought to go to Metheg Ammah. Well, David went to Metheg Ammah for a fight, and he got one, and the Lord gave him a victory. It's real interesting. The word Metheg Amah means the bridle of the forearm. That's what it means, the bridle of the forearm. Now, we know what a bridle is. You put a bridle on the horse to control it. The forearm is a picture of strength. This was a major stronghold in the plane of battle. This was the stronghold of the Philistines. Metheg Amma, where you controlled the strength of the area. Whoever controlled Metheg Amma controlled the area militarily. It was a stronghold, and David went up against it. Now, two things about this place. Metheg Amma 
This is where, when the civil war started, right after Saul died and David was declared king of one tribe only, Judah, this is where Abner started the battle and fled to when Joab went after him. Abner climbed up top of this stronghold, Methagama, and stopped and said, Joab, why are we killing each other today? And Joab knew he could not take him when he was in Methagama. He knew it was useless to try to take this fortress. And so Joab retreated, and Abner retreated, and the war went on. A second thing about this is the sister text to this, First Chronicles um, tells us that this area, First Chronicles 18, was around the city of Gath. Who else was from Gath? Anybody remember? Goliath was from Gath. And so this was in the area of, of Gath. And it was probably on the outskirts of that whole area, this major city of the Philistines, Metheg Amma, the control of strength, the control of the power in order to protect that whole area. And the Bible says David went and smote the Philistines and took Metheg Amma, this stronghold. Let me ask you a question. Do you have any strongholds in your life that need to be taken? Do you have any addictions in your life? Are you addicted to alcohol? Are you addicted to tobacco? Are you addicted to drugs? Are you addicted to pornography? Do you have any strongholds of a bad temper, of a bad attitude, any strongholds of sin that just dominate you and dictate the way you carry yourself and even your relationships with people? And they are strongholds of sin. And they need to be destroyed. Well, just as David took Methagama, I want to tell you David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ, can take your stronghold. And he can run it out. And he can win. And he, in your life, can have the bridle of the forearm, the control of the power. But you've got to trust Jesus. You've got to, first of all, know Jesus. And you got to appropriate him by faith and learn his ways and receive his spirit. And you'll be well on your way to the victory over your stronghold. As a matter of fact, Paul would write, For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, not carnal, and, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds in your thought life. Strongholds in your physical life. Strongholds in your emotional life. Any stronghold that is an ongoing battle sin in your life, Jesus, Jesus can give you victory. It may not be the hour you receive Christ, but I want to tell you what, you trust Christ today, you'll be well on your way. Well on your way by learning and growing in Christ. Let's look at the second group. Here we come to a familiar group. Verse 2, the Moabites. He comes against the Moabites, and he smote Moab and measured them with a line, casting them down to the ground. Even with two lines measured he to put to death and with one full line to keep alive. And so the Moabites became David's servants and brought gifts. The Moabites were to the east. 
The Moabites were like that perpetual temptation to sin that we all battle. There's just some besetting sins that hound us. You might have a besetting sin that you are always trying to resist, always trying to stand against. I will be totally uh, point blank with you. I have mine and you have yours. So we don't need to judge each other about the sins we get mixed up with because I may have never been tempted with your sin. And you may have never been tempted with mine. But Paul talks about, or Hebrews talks about those besetting sins that so easily besets us, that so easily trips us up. The Moabites remind me of that. They are a persistent enemy. There's a long history between Israel and these Moabites. The Moabites were the descendants of Lot, so they were kind of kin to the Israelites. At the Exodus, the, the Moabites would not let Israel pass through their land. God said, these people are kin to you. Don't whoop them in battle. Just, just ask them if you could pass through their land. And the Moabites said no. As a matter of fact, not only that, they hired a false prophet named Balaam to curse them. And when the curse didn't work, Balaam looked at the Moabite king and said, I'll tell you what to do. Take your... your pagan, idolatrous prostitutes, send them down into the camp of Israel, get them to seduce the men of Israel, and God will judge them for you. And that's what they did. And it was, it was an awful experience. You can read about it in the book of Exodus. It was terrible. And God basically said, no Moabite will ever... I'm not going to have anything. They're my wash pot. He said, I'll wash my hands of them. But God was gracious because we go through the book of Judges, and during the book of Judges, there was a lady uh, and a man named Elimelech and Naomi, and, and we read about them in the book of Ruth. There was a famine. They went to Moab and were introduced to a young lady by the name of Ruth, a Moabite. And she converts to the one true God, Jehovah, she converts uh, to the God of, of creation and the, the real God and marries a man by the name of Boaz. And Boaz is a great man. He's a wonderful, godly man. And Ruth becomes David's great-grandmother. David's great-grandmother. These are the Moabites. Now, when David was on the run from Saul in 1 Samuel, if you recall, he sent his parents to go live amongst the Moabites. That's what he did. Because he was afraid what Saul would do to them. So he protected his mom and daddy. Some of the old rabbis said that the Moabites took David's Jesse and his wife, David's mother, in and actually murdered them. And that's why David sought revenge. I don't know if that's a fact or not. But I do know what the Bible says here. After the battle... David took all the soldiers of the Moabites and he put them in three different lines. One line, one line, and a third line. And David put to death every man in two of those lines. But in the third line, he let them live. And Moabite, the Moabites began to serve David and bring him gifts. That's what verse 2 says. Now, David has been criticized for that. Was he getting revenge for his parents? What was he doing? Well, 
The Bible doesn't tell us his motive for that. But what we do know is, is that God did not condemn David for this. So I'm not going to condemn him either. I don't know why he did it. But this isn't, there was no Geneva Convention. So let's not be too hard on David. If you want to get mad and judge David and, and say he was wicked, I'll let you get to heaven and deal with David. Just make sure he doesn't have a sling in his hand when you talk to him. Well, I'm going to tell you what. David had to neutralize a persistent enemy. He had to neutralize this persistent enemy. And I believe taking out two-thirds of the army would do it. But there's another factor that we need to pay attention to. That third line, he let them live. David was gracious. Any other king would have wiped them all out. But David was gracious. Folks, do we have another king who is gracious? Do we have another king who said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, to hell and death. And many there be who are in that line. Few there be who walk the narrow way. Few there be. You see the picture? If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're in the wrong line. You need to get in the grace line. Amen? There's so many people who are not in the grace line, it takes two of them, two lines. So few people are in the grace line, it's only one of them. High glory, I'm in the grace line because of Jesus. Amen. Would you get in the grace line today? The two lines lead to hell. The grace line takes you right through Jesus on the glory. Let's look at the third. We see here in... Uh, Victory over Zoba. Look at uh, verse 3. David smote also Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zoba, as he went to recover his border at the river Euphrates. And David took from him a thousand chariots and seven hundred horsemen and twenty thousand footmen. And David hamstrung all the chariot horses, but reserved of them for a hundred chariots. And there we have victory over Zoba. Zoba was an independent Syrian city, if you will, city-state. Uh, Aramean, it's called, Aramea. It was in the north. And David here shows us some great wisdom as he's seeking the kingdom of God. During all this time, independent of David, this king of Zoba, his name is uh, Hadezar, uh, the son of Rehob, he uh, decides that he needs to reclaim some land that he lost up on the Euphrates River. So he's marching his armies up there. And David sees what's going on and takes advantage of a mobile army and attacks and wins this great victory. He, first of all, he reduces, if not annihilates, a threat of the northern part of Israel by conquering this army with all these chariots. And he hamstrings 
all but a hundred of the chariot horses. This is in keeping with the command in the book of Deuteronomy 17 that told the Israelites king, the Israelite kings, you will not have an army accumulating chariots and horses because I'm going to fight your battles. I don't need them all. So David just basically hamstrings all those chariot horses, makes them useless in the battlefield, and keeps about a hundred of them. So he's in keeping with Deuteronomy 17. And David exercises great wisdom here in this battle. He sees the opportunity to take it, and he does. You know, seeking first the kingdom of God takes some wisdom that God will give you. Sometimes it's time to fight, and you need to go into battle when it's ready. And God gives you leadership. You need the wisdom of God to rely on the Lord in your battles. Look at verse 5. We see Syria. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to comfort and help Hadezer, king of Zobah, David slew of the Syrians two and 20,000 men. And so, uh, and David uh, put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David and brought gifts, and the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. And David took the shields of gold that were on the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. And from Betah and from Berothai, cities of Hadadezer, King David took exceeding much brass. So while David is up there fighting this king of Syria, another Syrian king goes to help him. And the Syrians are engaged. Now what's very interesting, uh, to go up to fight Zobah, David had to pass through the occupied territory of Syria, which is still part of the promised land. And they, these two kings joined forces. They at times were enemies, but now when David's on the scene, they joined forces. Let me ask you a question. You read over in the New Testament. Were there two Gentile kings that hated each other? And when David's greater son, the king of kings, came up between them, they decided to join forces. In, wasn't their name Herod and Pilate? Huh? And, of course, you know what happened to them? They got whipped. And both these kings got whipped. And so, uh, have you ever experienced a season in your life when it seems you're, you're wanting to seek first the kingdom of God, but nothing goes right? There's just one battle after another, one temptation after another. You're trying. You're doing your best to seek first the kingdom of God. But you have one king here and another king here, and they're after you. You ever experience that? You just, you just it's one battle after another, and you say, Lord, you got to help me. I can't handle all of this. Well, yes, you can. David handled it. You can handle it. And it's a good thing because you're seeking first the kingdom of God. It's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. And if you get a season in life where you tiptoe through the tulips and everything's hunky-dory and fine and dandy, and that lasts for a long time, I'd begin to check your spiritual growth. It just seems like sometimes you just are always constantly resisting and fighting and claiming those promises. Well, all the forces of hell come against you. There's victory in that. 
And then there's a victory over the Edomites in verse uh, 14. And he put garrisons in Edom throughout all Edom, put he garrisons, and all they of Edom became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. And David reigned over all Israel, and David executed judgment and justice on all the people, the Edomites. David took measures in the south to protect his people. When you're seeking first the kingdom of God, it's always offensive, but you still have to guard your heart. You have to put up guards. You have to have... Let me, let me just say this. Parents, your kids got these cell phones. If you're going to let them have a cell phone, that's your business. That's fine. But I would suggest to you, you get a guard on it where they can't see stuff you don't want them to see. Amen? Lock it down. You say, well, that's their privacy. What kind of parent are you? Let me tell you something, brother. <laughs> you paying for it. Amen? Hallelujah. And they under your tutelage. Look, I, I told my kids, as long as you get one dime, including insurance, I control you. Amen. You, you, you don't want any word more of my control. Vacate the premises and vacate the pocketbook. Hey, glory. Amen. That's, a, that's two P's. I need a third one. But I want to tell you, put some guards up. Guard the heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee your forward mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee, Solomon wrote. Ponder the path of thy feet. Look not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. And so you've got to put guards up. And that's what David did as he sought the borders of the kingdom. It's a battlefield. It's offensive. But you must guard the heart. Because the enemies never, never quit. The world, the flesh, and the devil will never quit until you're in glory where they're not allowed. Now you say, well, preacher, we're talking about the battles, and you skipped a whole section. You skipped verse 9. Let's go back to verse 9. Thanks for reminding me. First of all, we saw the enemy subdued. Now let's look at the enemy who surrendered. Look what happened. When those two Syrian kings um, were, came together to fight David, and he whipped them all, look what happened. Verse 9, when Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had smitten all the host of Hadadezer. Then Toy sent Joram, his son, unto King David to salute him and to bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and smitten him. For Hadadezer had wars with Toy, and Joram brought with him vessels of silver and vessels of gold and vessels of brass, which also King David did dedicate unto the Lord with the silver and gold that he had dedicated of all the nations which he abdued, of Syria and Moab, of the children of Ammon, of the Philistines, and of Amalek, and the spoil of Hadezer, son of Rehob, king of Zobah. And David got him a name. And so when those two Syrian kings were whipped and defeated, this king Toy, who was way up there in the corner, king of Hamath, he, he said, I love David. David's defeated my enemies. And he sent his son down there, to David to bless him. 
and said, David, we want to honor you. We want to bow down at your feet. We recognize by all these victories you've won that this land is not ours, it's yours. And so we want to serve you. David, we surrender. You see, there's two ways you're going to bow to the king. Doesn't Paul say in the book of Philippians, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You will confess that one day. You will do it by being subdued on judgment day and be judged for your sin. Or you will do it today by surrender and coming to this gracious king who will receive you and change you and save you and make you a part of his kingdom. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the grace of God and responding to the grace of our Lord and Savior, David's greater son, Jesus Christ? Toy said, man, I see, I see all this belonging to the king, David. I don't want to fight against him anymore. I'm going to I'm going to go surrender. Wouldn't you? How long are you going to fight the king? How are you going to fight? You going to fight him till he's wiped out all your chariots and all your horses? You going to you going to wait till he's wiped out two thirds of your army? You going to you going to you going to fight him until he has conquered your strongholds so much so on judgment day? Why don't you bow today and come to him and surrender to Jesus? And let him lead your life rather than oppose your life. But there's another thing we see here. In verses 15 through 18. The blessings of seeking first the kingdom. Verse 15 says, David reigned over all Israel and he executed justice, judgment and justice unto all his people. You see, you read history, you'll discover that men have an easy time conquering other men. Nations have an easy time conquering other nations. But the hard part about that is it's easy for kings to conquer a nation. They do that well. Look, look throughout history. One has conquered another many times over. But we really don't rule well. We conquer well, Brother Charlie, but we don't rule well. Look, look, at, look at Tojo. He conquered Manchuria. No problem. But he didn't rule well. Look at Hitler in Nazi Germany. He conquered Europe. He, he conquered well, but he didn't rule well. See? And so David conquers well. And rules well. That's Jesus. You surrender to him, he'll rule well with justice and mercy and grace. And he establishes his kingdom. Look what it says in verse 16. Let me, let me give you uh, the blessings of the kingdom real quickly. First of all, there's the blessing of readiness. Verse 14, it, it, it says, um, I'm sorry, verse 16, it says, Joab, the son of Zerah, was over his host. So David set up Joab to be the captain of the army, ready to go, ready to fight. Seek first the kingdom of God. You'll always be ready. You'll always be ready. Always be seeking first the kingdom of God. Putting Jesus first, you'll always be ready. Every decision you make through the lens of the Bible and Jesus. 
you'll be ready. And then verse 16, B, and Jehoshaphat and uh, the son of Ahilud was recorder, the blessing of remembering. This man was made to uh, remind David to record these victories and, and and every now and then go to David and say, David, you, you, you won this victory this way. You won this victory that way. You won that other victory over there this way. David Toy came and surrendered to you, reminding David of all these victories. You know what that is? That's the blessing of a testimony. Isn't it wonderful to have a testimony of what God has done in your life? You seek first the kingdom of God, you'll have a bunch of them by the time it's over with. You'll have it recorded out. And then we see the blessing of righteousness, verse 17. He had uh, Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Helimelech, the son of Abiathar. They were the priest. And so they had uh, righteousness and the scribe, the priest and the scribe, to, to keep the kingdom mindful of the Lord. You See, if you're seeking first the kingdom of God, you're going to be mindful. But if you're not seeking first the kingdom of God, you're not going to be mindful. And then the blessing of reconciliation. Look at verse 18. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over... Look at these two groups. Listen to this. Cherithites, uh, Cherithites and the Pelethites. Who are those cats? Who are those? They're my favorite in this chapter. I love these two groups of people. I love them. Let me tell you why it's, they're my favorite. Cherithites and Pelethites. How many of you have ever met a Pelethite? Have you ever met a Cherethite? Well, this is an interesting group of people. It is probable that these people, these men, were mercenaries in David's army. Some of the old rabbis say they were even the personal bodyguards of the king, the secret service. Loyal to David. The Cherethites in particular were from the island of Crete, Kafter, originally where the Philistines came from. The name Pelethite is a derivative of the word Philistine. These were Philistine soldiers who converted to David. These were Philistines, the number one enemy, the enemy within, who converted to the one true God, Jehovah, left their false gods, Dagon, their false god, and began to serve and worship and give themselves to the one true God, Jehovah, and now they are David's personal bodyguards. Let me ask you something. Can God take a rank enemy change his life and make him a great servant of the king. He sure can. You see why they're my favorite? When I get to heaven, these are the guys I want to meet. If you're looking for me and ask about me, they're going to say, oh, Dr. Mike's over there at the cafe with the Pelethites. All right? Philistines of all people. If God can take a Philistine and make him a bodyguard of the king, he can take you and make you a great servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I want you to notice one more thing. The blessing of re representation. Look at verse 18. And David's sons were chief rulers in the kingdom. Now, you might have a translation that says priests. 
And then other translations say chief rulers. We really don't know how that word is to be translated. We don't know exact, the exact role that David's sons were to play in the kingdom. But have you read about David's sons? They weren't the best sons. They, I mean, folks, they, 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 uh, they got into sin. They weren't the wisest people. They would fall. They would do good. They would, I mean, poor old David, he had an issue with his sons. I guess that's why he took on so many wives. Well, this son's not any good. I'll have another one. I don't know. I doubt it, but who knows. But his sons weren't the best. As a matter of fact, after chapter 11, we're going to see some terrible things about his sons. But you know what's so good about the kingdom of God? He'll give you a chance to serve him. He'll give you a second chance to serve in the kingdom. He'll use you despite your failures and your sins. He'll give you a place to serve. Well, I'm not perfect. Well, I'm not either. But this is a kingdom of grace. Amen. And David's sons served in the kingdom. Well... Let me give you some lessons we learned from this chapter. Number one, when you seek first the kingdom of God and make the Lord an obedience to Him and your growth in the knowledge of Him a priority in your life, I want to tell you, you will win victories over those temptations, over those besetting sins, over those frailties, infirmities, distresses, and problems. You put Jesus first. You, and that means make Him a priority. You obey Him. What pleases God is what you will do. How you will react, you will win victories. Number two, seeking the kingdom of God is not passive. It's not passive. It's a battle. It's a war. It's a battle. You, you just, you know, well, I'm just sitting here twiddling my thumbs, serving the Lord. No, you're not. You're twiddling your thumbs. It's a battle. You got to, and I'm going to tell you, the greatest enemy you face is not the devil. It's not the word. It's your sinful flesh. That's the greatest enemy. Third, we are to honor the Lord with our victories. In verses 5 through 8 and 11 through 12, everything that David accumulated in the spoil from these victor victorious battles, everything, you know what he did? He gave it to the Lord. He took his spoil that God had given him in these victories, and he gave it to the Lord. Now, there's a couple of dimensions to this. Let me just give you one. You remember last time in chapter 7, David was told, you will not build me a house, but your son will build me a house. Solomon used all this spoil to build the temple. Let me ask you older generations something. What are you doing with your victories for the next generation? Are you winning victories and having testimonies and spoils that you can give to the next generation? Or are you like that couple we saw on the front porch that day, rocking in their rocking chairs, not facing the street, but looking at their front door? And we laughed at them and said, that's weird. But they were content with what they had. Forget about the next generation. Forget about the people passing on the street. 
I've got my spoils. I'm keeping them. I won't tell you what you give them to Jesus. The next generation will have them. That's good preaching, whether you're a self-centered person or not. Amen. And then we're to honor the Lord with our victories. David gave his spoil to the Lord. Our victories are not our own. They are to be used for the building of the house of God and the building up of each other. And then, the purpose of all your life in seeking first the kingdom of God is to lift up the name of Jesus above every name, the character and person of Jesus above every name. Look at verse 13. And David got him a name. David got him a name. And so the Syrian army had come back. David defeated them, and David got him a name. That's the purpose of seeking first the kingdom of God, is to honor the name of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Do you know the king of kings personally? Are you in his army? Are you a part of his kingdom? If you were to die right now, are you 100% certain you'd go to heaven? Do you know Jesus? If not, you're in those two lines that lead to death. You're in those two lines. And the way you need to get in that other line is recognize the grace of God and the enlistment of Jesus into His army, into His kingdom. And I won't tell you what, those Moabite soldiers, I doubt David gave them a choice about which line to get into. I doubt he let any of them see what's going on. Can you imagine four rows back looking and say, uh-oh, I'm in the wrong line. I don't imagine they got to step over. But I want to tell you what, Jesus, we call him David's greater son because everything about Jesus is greater. David had grace that day, but Jesus has abounding grace. And you can step over into the other line. And you can be saved today from your sin and your death and the guilt and the penalty of your sin. Dear Christian, let me ask you this. Are you in the fight? Are you praying the battle of prayer? Fighting the battle to know more about God by being a student of His Word? Fighting the battle against the flesh to worship Him and adore Him on a regular weekly basis at least with God's people? Are you where you ought to be? Are you going for that higher ground? Are you an onward Christian soldier instead of a backward Christian soldier? Where do you stand in the kingdom today? I pray you'd get it right. You know what you need to do. I pray you'd get it right. If you need Jesus as your Savior and you want to step over into that one line, Cole and I will be here to help. We're going to be right up here. We're going to sing. You just come down and say, I want to get in the right line. I'll know what you're talking about because I just preached it. And you just come down and say, I want to get in the right line got strongholds give it to Jesus you got enemies to whip you can come and we'll pray you through it the altar's open we're available let's stand together mm -hmm.